It all happened on a day, that joyful Christmas day planned in eternity by God the Father and declared by angels as this day which Christ the Saviour would be born. On this day, at the perfect fullness of time in the prophesied city of Bethlehem, a promised Saviour was born to a perishing world. Jesus' birth shook an unassuming silent night into a spectacular night. So it was that in the manger lay the infant, Jesus Christ, God's treasured promise revealed in the glory of Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. You guys did really well. Merry Christmas. It's all seven more days. Can you believe it? It's almost here. Now, I got a question. Audience participation. How many of you guys have done all your shopping like you're done? Uh, put your hands down. How many of you guys still have some shopping to do? Yeah, I like this crowd right here. Um, yeah, it's seven days. People, it's coming quickly, right? It's amazing how fast it rolls around. Uh, I love the Christmas season. I love the parties. I love the celebrations. I love the lights. I love the food. You know, it's amazing. Uh, you know, all that goes with it. But most of all, I love that it's a reminder of the birth of our Savior. You know, it is that connection to this very incarnate Christ that came to earth to die for my sin and your sins. You know, it's amazing that, that God would so envelop himself in a little baby uh, to be born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and all for the purpose of redeeming his people. Uh, it's an amazing thought. You know, I, I, something that Nathan said, uh, it is very indicative of our world, our culture today, loves to celebrate Christmas, don't they? You know, it's not an exclusive holiday just for believers. You know, just the world embraces our holiday, our, our celebration of Christmas. Uh, I read a statistic this past week that said 93% of Americans will celebrate Christmas. 93% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Now, you know, what do they do with the other 364 days of the year? I don't know, but we know there's a culture. Our culture is not celebrating Christ at a pace of 93% of Americans, is it? You know, so people have grabbed, grabbed a hold of a celebration and ignoring the reality of what Christ is all about. Um, my wife and I live in a subdivision not very far from here. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. We have fantastic neighbors. We are super blessed, very, very thankful uh, for the place we live and our neighbors. But one thing I've noticed is that we have a lot of neighbors about Halloween time that decorate their houses. They go all out for the Halloween decoration. I don't know when that started, but when I was a kid, nobody decorated their house for Halloween, but they do today. I mean, we have witches on broomsticks. We have little ghosts, you know, coming down from the trees. And I mean, the whole nine yards, everything. And then just a week after putting those up, out comes all of the Christmas decorations. And you know what I've discovered? It's a little ironic, I suppose that a lot of those same people that went all out for Halloween are the same people that go all out for Christmas. But now they have lights and tinsels and they've got little babies in a manger and they've got Jesus the reason for the season in their yard. You know, it's kind of ironic that there's the same celebration. And I'm not gonna draw somebody conclusions from somebody's yard decorations about their spiritual condition. 
But I do think it's indicative of a culture that just loves to celebrate. They love the party, right? And I think that's what Americans have embraced when it comes to Christmas. They love to celebrate, but they don't even know why they're celebrating. Well, this morning, we're gonna look at Colossians 1. And Paul, speaking to the church at Colossae, Colossae had, they had some confusion about who Jesus was. They were being bombarded by different thought, thoughts about Jesus and you know they did not walk with Jesus so they didn't have that personal knowledge so Paul comes along and speaks to this young church about the truth of who Jesus was and I think that that speaks to us this morning about who Jesus is in order for us to celebrate to be able to celebrate next Monday morning who Jesus is we have to understand who he is don't we, we have to know about him and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn, or your apps, turn to Colossians with me. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn and the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." See, the world doesn't oppose Christians celebrating Christmas because they celebrate Christmas. What they really are opposed to is the exclusivity of the way we celebrate Christmas. And Paul gives us here in this passage, no one else is the image of the invisible God, only Jesus. No one else can be the firstborn of all creation, only Jesus. No one else is the creator God, only Jesus. No one else holds all things together and no one else is the head of the body, the church. No one else is the reconciler of man. These are all exclusive statements and apply only to Jesus. We often find ourselves during this time of the year in the book of Luke with the gospel story and we read about how Jesus came in the form of a little baby wrapped in swelling cloths in a manger. It's an awesome story of the redemption of man. But it can also get mixed on the reality that it's just cute. You know, who doesn't like a baby? But it's the reality that this baby is God. Matthew 1, 23 says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. So as we celebrate this little baby, may we be reminded that we're celebrating God, the birth of God. It's amazing thought. I pulled out five major things from our passage this morning. I'm sure that there are others, but time doesn't permit us to add more. But the first thing I see here is that he is the image of God. Paul says to the church at Colossae, says, Jesus is the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
several years ago, probably 15, 18 years ago, I was at a church and they had uh, on a Sunday morning and they had an overflow auditorium. So they had the auditorium where the pastor spoke and they had an overflow auditorium. And so I went into actually the, the overflow auditorium and they had live worship. It was great. And I'm sitting there and uh, all of a sudden the pastor comes on and I'm watching the stage and it took a minute to realize that what I was watching was only an image, that it wasn't the real thing. I mean, the image was so good, so clear, so real, that I thought that that was the real thing until I processed, I'm like, no, it's a screen. I'm watching a person on a screen, but he he looked that real. Um, Last Saturday, we celebrated our youngest grandchild one first year birthday. Ah, uh, yeah. So Sophia turned one. And, you know, so a year ago and a month or so ago, um, we were anticipating the birth of Sophia and my wife turns to me and she says, we need new cameras. We need new phones. I just give the, the punchline away. We need new phones because we need New cameras, right? You know, we always want the latest and greatest. We want the, 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 the device that's going to give us the clearest and best image. And it is amazing, the image that we can produce these days, isn't it? It can look so much like the real thing. But when Paul uses the idea of image, oftentimes that's where our mind goes. It's a picture, But that is not what Paul means. Because when Paul speaks about image here, he's spoken a direct, exact replica. It is God in the flesh. So it's not about an image. It's not about a picture, but it's the image of God put into man through Jesus. That's the word image. It means a copy, an exact copy, an imprint. It's the same in every way. I was walking through our Hope Building the other day and uh, SFCA students were walking by me and it was probably third or fourth grade. And as they're walking by, I see this little boy that looks exactly like this young man that was in our young adult ministry 15, 18 years ago. And I paused because he was, what they say is the spitting image of what I assumed was his dad. I had to hold myself back from stopping this young man. And I thought that I could get myself in trouble for approaching this little boy and he could get in trouble because they walk, SFCA, they are no joke. I mean, they're all in a single file line. They're, they're doing their thing. They're minding their business. But I couldn't help but think that son, that boy is my friend's son, that they look so much alike. But they weren't the same, were they? They were different. When Paul uses the idea of image, they're the same. Jesus and God are one. They're the same. In Hebrews 1, 3, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the shining forth of God, yet God himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. While in a form of man, he was still God. It's mind boggling, isn't it? It blows our minds to think that God came in the flesh, but that's what's happened. Jesus said in John 14, nine, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Because Jesus was God. Yet Philip did not recognize that Jesus was God. Jesus was the full manifestation, the revelation of God here on earth. And then Paul tells us he's the honored one by God. Verse 15 goes on to say, the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn over all creation. Well, we know he literally wasn't the firstborn. So what does Paul mean when he says that he's the firstborn over all creation? We know that Adam and God created Adam first, and then from Adam, God made Eve, and then the two of them populated the earth. So what does Paul mean by Jesus being the firstborn? Well, the idea of firstborn means the ranking one, the priority, the supreme one, the one in charge, the superior one. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also, he created the world. So Paul's saying he's create, he, he is the supreme one. He is the one in charge. He's the ranking one. It's a position of authority. And not only that, he's also the creator and sustainer. Verse 16, 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's a lot there. But the things that jump out on, at me is that this Jesus that we celebrate, this birth of a, a tiny infant, is God the creator. God, through Jesus, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all present at the creation of the world. There's no doubt that Jesus is the author, author of creation. John 1, 1 through 3 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning God, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is creator. He's preexistent one. He always was and he always will be. Father, son and Holy Spirit acted in tandem to create the universe. Jesus said of himself in John 8, 57 and 58, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, I always have been. I always have. Don't, don't get confused that this baby born some 2,000 plus years ago that that was the start. It was only the putting on of flesh and blood. But not only is he creator, but he's also the sustainer. 
Verse 17 says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. A few years ago, probably 25 years ago, uh, my wife and I thought we were living out in Gateway at the time and our kids were just coming into those high school years and we thought it'd be a good idea uh, to move closer into town, closer to church, closer to school. So we started, um, thought it'd be a great idea also to build our dream home. So when you get to that point where you're gonna build a home, you wanna reach out to an architect, which we did, and we sat down with him and he designed a house for us. And we're not talking about a mansion, just a house for the Robinson household. And so uh, he comes up with the plans. We met with him a couple times, he tweaked it, and then the plans are ready. So what happens after you have the plans, architectural renderings, now we're going to go find a builder, right? To build our dream home. So I submitted to a few friends of mine that I knew were builders and they come back with proposals and guess what? That dream home was not gonna happen in our budget. So we have designed a home that we could not afford. So as the Lord planned, we ended up finding a semi-custom builder here on South Fort Myers and we were able to work with him to build a home that was similar, a lot less expensive, uh, and it's the home that we raised our kids in. Um, but you know, after we moved into the home, closed on the house, moved in the house, I never had any more contact with that builder. He was out of the picture. Well, Jesus says here, you know, he is the architect, he's the builder, but he is the sustainer. He's still involved in holding everything together. Without him, the world would fall apart. <clears throat> so Paul, addressing the church at Colossae, you know, he's looking at these churches and their, their poor understanding of who Jesus is and he wants to remind them of this truth. He wants to remind them that Jesus is the creator and he's the sustainer of all things and he's also the head in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The head. The head is described as the head of the body, the church. You know, the head is the seat of everything that happens in our life starts in our head, in our minds, right? The head is a very important part. And Paul says that Jesus is the head, the head of the church. Our head is the source of all decision-making. It gives our lives meaning. Many years ago when I was uh, probably 14, uh, 15 years old, high school kid, um, I was on a family trip. All of my relatives at that time, I grew up in Florida, but all my relatives lived in Indiana. So every summer we would travel to Indiana for a week's summer vacation. And we'd spend it mostly with my grandparents, but I had some extended relatives up there as well. And so I had an aunt that really thought I was special. And she treated me very special. And so she'd asked me to come over and spend the night uh, with her family. And so of course I'm gonna take advantage of that because I know I'm gonna get treated special. So we had a great breakfast. The next morning we woke up, I wake up and she's got this fantastic breakfast. You know, she lives on a you know, small farm. My grandparents lived on a farm and you know, she's cooking you know, eggs and grits, not grits. We didn't have grits. Eggs and bacon and ham and you know, it's just a fantastic breakfast. Well, we hardly get through breakfast. She turns to me and she said, hey, Carrie, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, 
just finished breakfast, but I'm all in. I said, I, you know, I, I don't really care, whatever, because anything my aunt is going to fix is going to be fantastic. So I'm all in. And she goes, well, she goes, what if we had fried chicken? I'm like, absolutely. Fried chicken. She had some canned green beans and she had potatoes. So we'd mash them. She'd mash them potatoes. I'm thinking this is going to be fantastic. She said, well, would, you, would you like to go with me to get the chicken? And I'm like, yeah, I'm always up for a road trip. I'll go get my shoes. So I run and get my shoes. We come out into her backyard and she goes, you guys know where this is going. Yep, goes to the chicken coop. I'm standing way away. And next thing I know, there is a chicken running around the yard without a head. It didn't last that way very long, I must say. And many hours after that, I'm sitting down in front of a plate, a fried chicken. I must say that kind of changed the dynamics a tad bit, but I got through it. You know, when Paul talks about Jesus being the head, I use that story and as all illustrations do, they fall apart on many, many levels. And that one certainly does, but it fits that the importance and priority of the head, the head of the church is Jesus. Whether we like it or not, that's the, 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 the reality is that Jesus is the head. We have member meetings around here uh, about once a month on a Sunday evening, about five o'clock. I encourage you to come to member meetings. A lot of things that are very important to the body of Christ happen at our member meetings. And one of the things that happens is we get to vote. Sometimes it's a 50%, sometimes it's a two-thirds majority, but we get to vote on certain things. And it can come across rather democratic, can't it, in those meetings. But we are an autocracy. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. He is our head. Our role as members of the body is to seek after what Jesus would want. What does God want for our church? What does God want for the body of Christ here at McGregor? And oftentimes that means laying aside our preferences. Does anybody have a preference in here? Do you have things that you like? You want certain way? But we have to lay those aside and seek after the heart and the mind of God. His will, not my will be done, right? But Jesus is described as the head of the church. What's really sad is if you, you think about it is how many so-called churches don't have Christ as the head of their church. And what a mess that can be. In Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23, Paul says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All functions of the human body are put under the authority of the head. Oftentimes in scripture, we see the body of Christ as a, as the, we call it a body of Christ with Christ the head, right? We need to be faithful followers of the head of the church, Jesus. Ephesians 4, 3 and 5 says, Bigger to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs 
to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. How do we do that? We recognize that Jesus is the head, the head of the church. Allow him to lead. And then Paul tells us he is preeminent and that follow at the end of verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything that he might be first place, Jesus is to be preeminent. You know, the Church of Colossae, they were struggling with maybe different images of God, different images of who Jesus was. And Paul says, Jesus is to be first place. So much so that John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus proclaims his own exclusivity to the way uh, to God. It's through him. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. Which leads me to the fifth point. He is our reconciler. Verses 19 and 20 say, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul again proclaims the fullness of the deity of God dwelling in Jesus. Jesus is that revelation of who God is to man. The prophet Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. The concept of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God sending his Son to dwell in human form, to live a life, to die for our sins, is kind of a mind blowing idea, isn't it? I mean, if I was in charge, which I'm not, if I was in charge, that's not the route that I would choose to redeem my people, to send my only son to die. I'm not doing that. I'll find another way. I'm God, right? But God chose to send his only begotten son to come to earth to save man. It's crazy. It's mind boggling. And it, it, I think that most of us fall into that category of it. You know, we just can't put our minds around this. And the prophet Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Who can come? comprehend the mind of God. Continue on, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the very thing of which I sent it. Jesus, born as a baby, sent to redeem man, to be our reconciler, which is what verse, uh, Paul is telling the church at Colossae, that Jesus is to be the reconciler. Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by this, his life. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this baby born in a manger, we celebrate Christmas came to reconcile man to himself, came in the form of a baby to die. It's crazy. I find it ironic and sad in many ways that the world around us, 93% of people will celebrate Christmas. But such a small percentage of that population of people know what they're celebrating. They fail to recognize this little baby in a, boar, baby in a manger was more than just some cute little thing. That this baby was God sent to earth to die for the sins of people. To reconcile man to God. That there was a chasm. There was a gap between a holy God and sinful man. And the only way to bridge that chasm was to send his son who lived a perfect sinless life to die on a cruel cross to shed his blood for our sins. That's what Christmas is about. May we, may we remember as we celebrate Christmas as we celebrate Christmas and we remember that it's all about Jesus. He is the reason for the season and he has done a remarkable work in the redemption of his people.